folks! Hey, <laughs> welcome to Gals Planes, the podcast where two best friends explain anything and everything to each other better than any man ever has. <laughs> this week, we're diving into the crazy mental and physical effects of ice cold showers and the psychology behind conspiracy theories and why we believe in them. Ooh. Yeah, you could Google it, but isn't it more fun to learn it from a friend? Mm-hmm. I'm Michelle. And I'm Claire. Michelle, I'm so excited <laughs> that we're finally doing this. <laughs> Me too. We're both big lifelong learners and like learning new, weird, crazy things. And we explain them to each other all the time anyways. So why not have an audience that can learn from us too? <laughs> yeah, if you don't know us, Claire and I actually went to high school together. So we've been friends for a very long time since we're both in like our mid-early 20s. As you yes. are when you start a podcast <laughs> with someone, I feel like. <laughs> And I'm actually coming at you from Charlotte, North Carolina, and Michelle is in New York City, so we have a long-distance best friendship. Yes, the Big Apple, so if you hear some honking horns in the background, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, same though. People shouldn't sleep on Charlotte. It is pretty crowded here, too. What would Charlotte be? Would it be like the Big Peach? No, the Big Tobacco? <laughs> <laughs> the medium-sized... I don't know. Uh, probably beer. We have more <laughs> breweries than like any other city in the world. We have like 60 just in Charlotte. Are you ready to tell us about some cold showers today, Claire? Heck yeah, Michelle. So I'm so excited that this is our first topic because as you know, it is near and dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on it. I know I've been giving you little teasers the last few weeks. Um, and been like, we have to talk about this. And you've been like, don't tell me too much. Wait for the episode. <laughs> Every time she even started talking about it, I'd be like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know anything. So girl, I am going to tell you about the crazy <laughs> mental and physical effects that come with taking ice cold showers. And I know you know this, but I actually did this every morning for a month. Which, during a pandemic, doing something every morning for a month feels like a huge accomplishment, right? It's a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah also I hate cold showers for the record I feel like I should I don't know if you're gonna ask me that but I'm a like steaming hot shower person honestly same though I love when my skin is just like scalding from a shower so this was very much <laughs> out of my comfort zone um but I think if I can do it anyone can do it so mm. All right, I have some I have some crazy research some very sciencey stuff to share, some studies to share, but a lot of anecdotal experience from my 30 days of doing this. So I feel like I'm going to break it down to you by walking you through the like physical effects on your body and your brain. And then I'm going to talk about the euphoric effects and the Ooh. euphoria that comes from it. And then I'm going to talk about what I find the most interesting, how people use it to fight fear. So Michelle, are you ready? I'm ready. Fight fear? Let's do it. Heck <laughs> yeah. Pow, pow. All right. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember this about me, but I was drawn to cold showers because I have an awful time waking up every morning. Like, I feel like I've just been punched every morning. I can't get out of bed, especially during these last few months working from home or managing my own days from home, I feel like that feeling has escalated even more. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way. 
Yeah, I mean, it feels like when you don't really have a set schedule because you're at home all the time, like you can just you can just decide to do nothing and stay up late and then linger in bed. I mean, I definitely did that today. Yeah, I mean, I also felt really foggy. Even when I like got myself up and I was like making a cup of coffee and going through the motions of what I had to do that day, I would just feel insanely foggy the whole day. And, like, I was kind of all over the place. So I always joke with Jeff, my boyfriend that I live with, that um, you know that, but I'm filling everyone else in. Yes, of course. (laughs) I always joke with Jeff, don't trust a sleep Claire because she will lie to you. Um, I will say stuff like, no, I'm awake. Oh, I'm about to get up. And, like, that's not true. I don't remember saying those things. I had this problem with my mom in high school. I was late every single day to first period. I would set an alarm and I would turn it off. My mom would wake me up and I would claim to be awake and claim that I was getting out of bed. But like until my feet were on the floor, it was all lies. So don't trust to sleep, Claire. She will lie to you. She she will tell you anything. So (laughs) I was looking for in this cold shower morning, I was looking for mostly an immediate jolt awake. Like, faster than a cup of coffee, less stomach issues than chugging a cup of coffee every morning. Um, I was also looking for a sense of accomplishment in, like, setting a goal and following through for 30 days. So I'm going to walk you through the physical health benefits, and then we can get into, like, everything else and my experience with it. So right off the bat, cold showers have been known to have positive effects on depression, which is wild. The cold water increases endorphins and sends gentle electrical pulses to your brain. What is it called? Like electrotherapy, which is crazy, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, does that happen when you like work out or is that just a cold thing? Do you know? It's, it's, I have no idea. I, again, not, not a doctor, not a scientist. I have a theater degree. Um, but I feel like everything I read said it helps to increase endorphins and improve circulation. There are a lot of studies on this, but the one I found most interesting was they took a group of people with depression and had them taking just two to three minute cold showers once a day. And after a few weeks, everyone noted an improvement in their symptoms. Oh, wow. Not claiming to cure depression in any way, but maybe like lifts the fog a little, maybe like helps you move forward in your morning a little bit more. I feel Um, like if it helps some people, it's one of those things like it's it like at least is valid for that reason. Right. And like maybe it's and I'll get more into this later. Maybe it's a placebo effect of hearing that it helps other people and it might help you. So, you know, it's helping in some way, which is cool. So I wanted to ask, when you think of what a cold shower does to your heart rate, would you think that it speeds it up or slows it down? I feel like, and I think I'm taking this knowledge from watching Teen Wolf a long, long time ago. I'm serious about this. I used to, like, love Teen Wolf. Me too! And I remember there was an episode where they had to, like, take ice baths so that they could slow their heart rate down enough to the point that they were dead. Or oh. at least were, like, dead so they could go to the afterlife, quote-unquote, but they weren't dead. So because of Teen Wolf, I'm going to say slow. Yes, you Thank are you, right. I'm glad. Thank you, Teen Wolf. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> Shout out to Styles from Teen Wolf. Oh, I had such a crush on him. Dylan Me O'Brien. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as someone with anxiety, I did a lot of research on this because I wanted to be jolted awake, but my heart rate already runs a little hot, a little high. Um, so I did not want this to spike my anxiety. And I was imagining like horror stories of, yeah, I'm awake, but I'm more anxious than ever. So I actually found, and the research backed me up, that my heart rate slowed down with cold showers. And some can say it even can bring your blood pressure down. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're, to get all scientifical, um, when your body is cold, it reacts by constricting blood vessels to maintain your core temperature, and your blood is redirected from your extremities to your internal organs. So your body is working harder. That's why if you go outside, like the first thing when it's really cold, you might lose feeling in is like your fingertips and your toes, and then it spreads. It's because your body's redirecting all your blood to your organs, which is crazy and kind of wild. So better circulation can mean less inflammation, and this also acts as an exercise for your circulatory system to work better. You exercise your body, your muscles, your mind, but have you ever exercised your circulatory system? Oh my gosh, do the circulation, am I right? <laughs> That was a, what is that musical called? <laughs> Come on to the circulation from Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, you didn't get it? No. <gasps> Shoot. Uh, <laughs> I should have gotten it as, you know, we were theater kids in high school. It was I a show feel... I didn't do with you. It was a show I did okay. with other people. So I shouldn't have known it because anything you did without me is irrelevant. <laughs> not real i only exist in your vision that's a story <laughs> that's a lesson for a different time <laughs> okay so cold showers better circulation which can mean less inflammation so i have some joint issues michelle was there throughout all the time you were there every time i like broke something twisted something which happened a lot in high school <laughs> i'm not laughing at your injuries i just like the idea that i was there for all of them so i actually noticed that my joint issues felt a lot better for longer. It didn't cure anything, but it was almost like icing them, but icing my whole body at once faster and not as painful as taking an ice bath. I can't, I still can't imagine doing that after a month of cold showers. No. Did you feel the relief like as you were taking the shower or like after doing it repetitively? I think later in the day when I would realize like, oh, my wrists and my ankles aren't like swelling and starting to cramp up. And like if I had a day of really intense typing that normally like my fingers, joints would start to feel it or that I was like writing or something like that, I'd be like, huh, I feel a little bit better than I normally do. This is actually so. really advocating for cold showers <laughs> for me. Keep going. I know. You will have to report back on if you start taking them. I'm not even... <laughs> halfway through. So here we go. Getting into the coolest part I found physically about cold showers was the feeling of absolute euphoria. Euphoria. <laughs> euphoria. <laughs> so I'm going to walk you through how cold showers looked and felt for me and what I am talking about. What was this euphoria? Once I dragged myself out of bed, once I got asleep Claire to stop lying about being awake and turn into awake Claire, um, there are a few different ways you can make this happen. You can start with a warm shower and turn it cold gradually or just for the last few minutes. You can have it 
um, cold and slowly put different parts of your body under. So they say like, put one leg in, then the other leg in, then one arm, then the other arm. Or you can jump right in. What do you think I did? You just jumped right in the shower? There were definitely days that I wussed out and started warmer, but it always felt best when I hopped right in. So I would turn on the shower. I would put on a song that I knew was like two and a half or three minutes. Wait for it from Hamilton is my personal favorite. (laughs) Funny because you weren't waiting for it. I know. (laughs) Well, I was waiting for the beat to drop. Right. Right. I would sometimes get in the shower and like kind of let out whatever your body was holding in like verbally. So I would laugh Sometimes I would yelp because it was so cold. Like just that feeling of relief. You're in there. You did it. Right. Yeah. But I remember in um, high school, my parents had a pool in their backyard. And I remember in winter jumped into it. Do you remember this? I do not. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, it's very valid for the record. Claire always is remembering so much more from high school than me. So she is not making this up. I just have to. Terrible memory. <laughs> I think it was winter break and it was one of the few times it snowed in North Carolina and we were in the hot tub, which connected to the pool. And my dad like came out and dared us to jump into the pool. So of course we did it. And that was actually the first time that I cursed in front of my parents. <gasps> I know. And I got in the pool and I screamed, what the hell? But it was, it's that same feeling. I know, so bad, so wrong. It's that same feeling of you hop in and your body just like releases what it's thinking. And so after about 30 seconds in the shower, I normally start to feel okay. I wash my face And then by the beat drop in the song, I would like full on dance. The feeling of euphoria and being invigorated would come over me and I just wouldn't even feel the cold anymore. I used to think like, did it warm up? What's going on? But no, it didn't. My body was just used to it. Oh my gosh. So the reason it has this kind of feeling of euphoria is very scientific and... Cold showers increase endorphins and levels in, and I'm going to get this word wrong, norinephrine, which is a hormone that works as an anti-inflammatory, and it gives you that euphoric feeling because it immediately shoots out and goes to work on all of your pain receptors, which is wild. First of all, when I thought you said norinephrine, I thought you were pronouncing Nora Ephron wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's very confused. But also that makes sense. (laughs) It makes sense because I feel like I've heard like athletes, you know, like take cold showers to like ice their sore muscles. Yeah. I watched that movie, uh, Stick It, that gymnastics movie. And that is my understanding of athletes and cold showers, baths. Everything we know is from television and movies. (laughs) We're not athletes. Nothing like that. We just watch it on TV. With our theater degrees. (laughs) So I want to say... I, I'm going to close out the physical and mental health benefits with my favorite study, which was a study done on rats. It slowly exposed a group of rats, took more and more cold water over time, up to four hours at a time. And it made sure that their core body temperatures remained the same so that they were healthy and everything like that. So the cold rats compared to the normal rats ate 1.5 times the amount as the normal rats, but they still had a lower body weight. <gasps> That's the dream. So people take this study and some people are like, it raises your metabolism. So I'm not sure how legit that is, but interesting. 
These rats that took the cold showers also lived on average two months longer and had less than half the cancerous tumors as the normal rats. Well, if I am anything like a rat, which I am because I was born in the year of the rat, then this is a great study for me. True, and you live in New York City, home of some of the fattest rats around. Home of the rats. I probably live with a ton of them. So I never want to give any medical (laughs) advice, of course. I am not a doctor. As we've said before, I have a theater degree. Right. Um, This is just my experience and my research Uh, So please don't take any of this as fact, Um, but I would love for us to get into my favorite benefit of cold showers. So I dove deep into everything so far about like the physical, mental, health, and wellness benefits, but I wanted to talk more about why cold showers and i'm gonna get pretty woo woo with you here michelle i'm excited so what do they represent and how is taking a cold shower training me to face my fear and step outside my comfort zone right i'm remembering now we're talking about fears what does this mean so there's a super interesting concept in this book called the flinch it's a book by julian smith and He defines the flinch as the moment before we do anything outside of our comfort zone. It's that moment where we shrink up and we start talking ourselves out of it. Like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? And our bodies, like, have that fight or flight moment. So we grew up as theater kids. We both have that moment of the flinch where we push through and we get on stage and nothing was as scary as we perceived. Can you think of any other moments where you have the flinch? Mm, Very, very many. Uh, Job interviews, um, talking to people in social situations. I think, I think a lot of times the flinch comes up in my life. Right. So Julian Smith defines cold showers as representing wanting to do something more meaningful with your life, wanting to move forward. So the first time, uh, this was the first time I really thought about cold showers in this way. I just like gave myself this assignment to kind of work myself up and make myself more awake, but I never thought what it could promote internally, like self-care wise. So I would love if you would read a little excerpt from the book It is his first homework assignment in the first chapter, and I think it's the most provocative in the whole book. Um, So whenever you're ready, if you would read it. Wow. I feel like I'm literally in middle school again. Okay. Walk up to your shower and turn on the cold water. Wait a second, then test it to make sure it's as cold as possible. Do you see what's coming? If you do, you should tense up immediately. You should feel it in your chest. You might start laughing to release the tension, and you haven't even stepped inside. You're predicting a flinch that hasn't happened yet. You're already anxious about it, about something that hasn't happened and won't kill you. Anxious about something that barely hurts at all. Okay, do it. Now is the time to step in the shower. As the cold water hits you, you might shout or squirm, but the discomfort lasts only a second. You quickly get used to it. You get comfortable with cold instead of trying to avoid it. You put yourself in the path of the shower to speed up the adjustment process. (laughs) Mind blown, right? I totally get it and I haven't even done it. I can see what the appeal is. Yeah. I read this after I took a cold shower. Like, I hadn't even thought about this before. And I felt so seen and understood. By the water. By the water. But also by (laughs) Julian Smith. I mean, genius here. So... 
when Julian Smith in his book defines overcoming the flinch in four kind of tasks, and one of them, a cold shower, is a way to do this. So he says that we're not achieving things in our life, not because of the lack of knowledge or skill that holds us back. It's these moments of self-doubt. It's the moment where the flinch comes in and we don't push through. So he recommends to face the flinch in small ways every day, like taking a cold shower. You're building a muscle and you're diving into perceived threats instead of running away from them. And you're you're building a muscle and you're getting used to pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. So he recommends next to once you jump in the cold shower, take note of what's on the other side. Remember, it's not that bad. This is actually kind of nice. And then challenge yourself that each time you face the flinch, you get a little bit stronger. So you're not shivering for as long when you hop in the shower. You start to feel that feeling of euphoria faster. Maybe you let the water turn even colder. Maybe you stay in longer. And then you have this knowledge that nothing terrible is going to happen to you. It's just cold water, or it's just a job interview, or it's just an audition. And you face the flinch. You've practiced it. So I I love this sentiment. It made me feel like I was doing something of a greater purpose, even though I was just taking a cold shower. Well, you were in a way. You were changing the way you think about things like jumping the shower, jumping into a job interview or anything. Yeah. This is a really sweet topic. I didn't think it was going to get this sentimental. I feel like I feel like this is a really great way of like. Even if it doesn't work for you, like at least trying something new that will help you face fears. Like I'm definitely going to try this just to see how it turns out. But I mean, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but do you still take cold showers? Yeah, I, I will tell you that I take them whenever I feel like I need them now. Mm, Yeah. And I think the month at the beginning was really crucial to helping me understand, like if I have a slight headache in the morning, I hop in a cold shower right away because the inflammation um, will immediately be attacked. Or if I'm a little nervous for something that I have going on that day or just feeling down or the weight of this world slowly exploding (laughs) around us (laughs) is a little bit too much, um, I definitely hop in the cold shower. I think that it's it's amazing. And there were so many mornings where I didn't want to do this. I, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to get in the cold shower. I felt that flinch so hard. But immediately after I got in, I would smile so big. I would dance. And the confidence in myself was so much stronger. And I was just so proud that I accomplished something, even as simple or as small as a self-shower or as a cold shower, um, <laughs> it was great for my my self-care. Um, it's taking you to the brink. You are fearing the cold. You're fearing the flinch. And it's a good feeling to just jump right through it. And it really got me out of a slump three months, four months into, you know, being home every day. And I'm, I was just really proud of myself. So if you try this, let me know, Michelle. If anyone at home tries this, <laughs> please let me know. Yeah, of course. I'll definitely go back to you on a future episode. We can reflect back on this to see how it ended up working for me. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us in the lesson today? Anything else we need to review for our next test? (laughs) No, girl. We are all on to topic two, which I am so excited to sit back and learn. All right. Away from cold showers and into conspiracy theories. Now, I told you that, like, I was really into, like, wanting to do a kind of spooky topic because hopefully this is being released before Halloween. That's our deadline. So if you're seeing this, 
Um, happy almost Halloween or happy Halloween. Um, spooky. spooky time. But, you know, I thought about it and I kind of looked into it and I realized, like, I don't really know much about why conspiracy theories are. And I thought it might be interesting as, like, a lesson, since that's our format of our show, to at least start with, like, you know, the psychology and the reasons behind why we believe in conspiracy theories and, like, when that term was even coins. We'll get to if you've heard conspiracy theories before. We'll talk about a little of our personal experience before, but I just wanted to start off with an example of not necessarily a full out like people called it a conspiracy theory, but kind of just, well, we'll see. All right. (laughs) On October 30th, 1938, the day before Halloween, Orson Welles aired a radio play adapted from the classic novel, The War of the Worlds. Have you heard of this radio play? No, I have not. You've never heard of this radio play? No. (laughs) I'm actually really surprised about this. So if you're listening, you may or may not have heard about this infamous radio play. Um, But essentially, this book and this play that it was adapted into for the radio at that time is about an alien invasion. I've never read or heard it before, but this this is the story. It's pretty famous. So sorry to anyone who's a big fan of it, and I've never read it. The story goes that... On October 30th, 1938, when they aired this radio play, um, basically everyone who was listening missed the first part of the broadcast when they said, you know, this is a fictional story. And then everyone went into mass panic because they thought aliens were actually invading planet Earth. And I, when I heard this, and I actually think when I heard this, it was in a theater class in college. They told us there were people being really scared and running in the streets and that it was this huge hysteria. Um, and it was made a huge hysteria, like in mass media. They like wrote in the papers like that. I think I even read something about police storming like Orson Welles broadcast room being like, you need to end this, you know, like it was a big deal. And even afterwards, Orson Welles himself like made the rumor even spread more that it was a panic because it made him even more famous. Well, turns out in hindsight, it wasn't as big of a deal as they thought it was. Now, I just want to ask, do you remember this? Did you remember it? Now that you tell me the whole story, I definitely have heard of this before. I don't know if it was in theater class. Yeah, but I definitely have heard of this. And it's crazy to think about in what ways we see a lot of fiction on TV and radio plays now and radio and all of that. And we're used to hearing fiction on that. But in what ways do we still consume certain news as fact when maybe it is fiction? Exactly. And like the way it was continued to be fact that this was mass panic by the media and by Orson Welles himself, who was also profiting off of this. And it helped them to push this narrative in a way, which fair enough, like this, it's it's pretty like harmless because they were actually claiming they made more harm than they actually caused, um, which now is known to be fictional harm. But my point is not about this crazy story that could honestly be a story for another time because I just feel like all of the conspiracy or not conspiracy, but just basically false information that was being spread out everywhere, that could be its own other story. My lesson about this is that conspiracy theories and why people believe them um, is because it's just so pervasive in our society, honestly, mm-hmm. it to easily accept 
information given to them if it fits the narrative we want it to. Um, so the first thing that this specific instance illustrates is confirmation bias. That's a big thing about conspiracy theories that makes them track is that people who hear the broadcast were scared and could confirm to other people that it was scary. And then those people could tell other people that they heard from a friend that they were scared <laughs> and so on and so forth. And like that first person might have just been like a little bit spooked because they heard it a little late. But after telephone, it turns into my friend wanted to like go underground and hide in a basement. Like it's a really messed up game of telephone. Like um, especially back then, you know, they didn't have the internet. <laughs> like any rumor or anything that you ever see escalate like that. I feel like this even happened now that we have media with the pandemic. I feel like things escalated more and more and everyone was at the beginning running out and buying toilet paper because there wasn't going to be any more. And I went to... I went to Trader Joe's and they didn't have any and I went to Target and they didn't have any and you better go. And I was getting those calls a lot from friends. So I feel this right now. I think it's like natural. And I, I think like every human society does this in a way. I mean, it's a, it's a fear factor going on to your cold showers thing. People get a little scared when there's something, but even if they're not scared, there's other reasons to keep them interested in these, you know, interesting theories because it's more than just confirmation bias that makes people want to talk about a story. If you remember, the year was 1938, which was the brink of a second world war. Um, and an alien invasion is a captivating news story that could reflect the times in an interesting way. I took a class in college called Trojan War Narratives. We talked about how people talked about the Trojan War was actually reflecting like the Peloponnesian War in their current times. And Basically, it's the same thing with like any news story that might get a little out of hand or something like that or any theory. It maybe not might not be true, but it's interesting because it reflects, you know, how those individuals at that time are feeling towards like their current climate, you know, in the world. Right. I feel like that was the way with the pandemic, like you just talked about. It's only natural. I actually saw a really cool quote by this guy named Roger Stone. And I think he said it best. He said, such minds resort to conspiracy theory because it is the ultimate refuge of the powerless. If you cannot change your own life, it must be that some greater force controls the world. I love that. I think that that is so true. It's a form of escapism from, you know, this reality that we have around us not being good enough or not explaining not being explainable that we have to come up with something unexplainable something totally out of this world I'm yeah and I I feel like sometimes it's it, it's not even like that bad you know like it can be anything from like a big conspiracy theory that makes absolutely no sense to something that actually might make a little sense and I'm definitely not one to hate on conspiracy theories like I believe many of them and I I'm a sucker for them and I think some can even be true but it's almost comforting and relieving to have something there if you're you know powerless person I thought this was also like something that I saw in the social dilemma did you see that I haven't watched it yet we're gonna watch it this weekend I'll spoil like a few things I said but not much because honestly like I have my problems with it I think it's a bit misleading at times and even itself fear mongers a little bit hot take hot take I have 
a few hot takes on the social dilemma. <laughs> but they do say in the documentary movie, whatever you want to call it, it says that um, social media creates this disinformation for profit structure that capitalizes on spreading false news through rabbit holes that preys on what people are going to click on based on like what their past behavior on the internet was. And that means that like just because, you know, you don't have truth being shown to people like it doesn't matter it's whatever like they're gonna buy into more so that they can keep getting their data bought out by companies essentially it's a whole thing but this actually happened to the nba player kiri irving and he like put out on social media that he believed the earth was flat Mm. and basically was like i don't mind going against the grain in terms of my thoughts and what i believe but then like a year later he came back and was like oh, yeah, I only said that because I went, like, down a rabbit hole on Facebook or something, and, you know, I don't really believe that anymore. It's just, like, one of those conspiracy theories. But, like, that one guy went down all these conspiracy theory holes because the internet showed it to him, and he, like, ate it right up. Right. I find myself, after I listen to a certain crime podcast and we dive deep into a certain crime on that I'm like looking up like oh my god the father definitely did it and then like that's all of the media that I'm seeing is pointing in one direction so maybe it's not a conspiracy theory but it it always points me in one direction to lead to one thing instead of seeing all the sides of every story whether that be you know crime politics whatever right and that's that's the confirmation bias you know you get this communal reinforcement that like there's this thing that agrees with you and or like what you might be thinking and then there's also like this other element of psychological projection so like you might be projecting whatever your circumstances are in your life onto it it's a little scary like you don't know what might be real sometimes but you also don't want to stop yourself from not like you know, questioning everything around you. It's all about exposure. Like how often you see something being presented as fact, you're going to start accepting it, even if you didn't believe it. It's just like, this is such a stupid example, but when you're like in the car and a song comes on the radio and you're like, I hate this song. I never want to hear it again. And then it comes in the radio every single day. And by day 10, you're like jamming. You're like, I love this song. This is amazing. (laughs) I feel like that happens to me all the time. And it's just accepting something as fact for being good in my life. Oh, that always happens to me. That's such a good example with music too. Cause I feel like there's so many songs on the radio that get so annoying, but Then you wait it out a little bit and you start like enjoying it more. But what I found interesting about this is like conspiracy theory was technically not always a term. Actually, there are conspiracy theories. There's a very major conspiracy theory that the CIA coins the term conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theories about conspiracy theories. Yeah, the the people who fight against this conspirators are the ones coining the term allegedly which is just a broken system and i guess that's why it's a conspiracy theory (laughs) according to google books uh if you do like a trending search on google books it says that the term conspiracy theory didn't start popping up in non-fictional english literature until around 1870 in a book called the journal of mental science i looked at the quote it didn't make any sense to me (laughs) so I mean, if you can go and look at that quote and understand it, I don't even think it was used in the context of like how we use conspiracy theory today. But hey, if you want to go read that book from 1870 and understand it, you can. (laughs) The term wasn't that popular until like the 1950s and 60s, which I guess is why people are saying the CIA made it up. Mm. 
a little bit spooky there with the conspiracy theories and like where they came from. Cause I initially was trying to like do this about the origins of where they came from, uh-huh. but it's kind of unknown. And I feel like that's for a reason because I think the term, while we may not have had it for the longest time, like everyone's always kind of had a sense of making things up. Like the first few examples I used weren't even conspiracy theories. This is so interesting. I never thought about it in this way about, we always think like, what are some crazy conspiracy theories? Not why do they exist? Right? I feel like the way we accept our surroundings is one thing, and that's why we question it by using conspiracy theories. But, like, there's a certain amount of, I don't know, gullibility you have to have to, you know, be able to take it in. But it's also, like, going back to that guy Roger Stone, like, it's a powerless powerlessness thing. It's a lot of isses. At a certain <laughs> point, you just, like, want to believe something because it kind of makes you feel better or it's a better way of looking at the world. It's, like, which narrative sometimes which narrative helps you sleep and I feel like not with conspiracy theories just having them it's so good to question everything and not accept everything that we see in front of us as fact right it's like helps me sleep at night knowing that there are so many options and alternatives and wild different things and I can choose to believe one thing and someone else can choose to believe another so I guess whatever helps you sleep at night right (laughs) Yeah, definitely. What I've learned in general, though, psychologically, people project what their given circumstances have informed in their lives to believe some things more than other people might. That doesn't make the information or the theory more or less untrue, but some people might be more susceptible to take a theory to heart more often. Honestly, all these like big words like psychological projection and communal reinforcement and confirmation bias, like all of these are just big words to say that like, question everything including theories uh like i love astrology you know this Mm -hmm. we're both fire signs by the way which is weird with the cold shower conversation because you can tell neither of us want cold (laughs) um but i say that because i do love astrology and i love talking about it but i don't take it as fact i just take it as i love talking about it because i find it interesting so basically like take everything in the world with a little grain of salt Well, and I love conspiracy theories open you up to making, having free will, making choices for yourself, not accepting everything around you as fact. There are some fundamental facts that I think we should all accept, like the earth is round, but (laughs) there are some that, to me, conspiracy theories really hold up. So, Michelle, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? What is my favorite? Uh-huh. I'm really into, like, space conspiracy theories. I really love... I mean, these are, like, scientific theories, too. But, like, I really love the idea of, like, parallel universes. But how about you? I've been talking forever about conspiracy theories. I don't know. <laughs> what are some conspiracy theories you're into? Well, I definitely agree with you that I think, like, space conspiracy theories or scientific theories are really interesting, but I also can't handle them. I don't know if some people are like me. Like, I love thinking that I'm a small, tiny speck in this giant universe bigger than that, but at some point I also can't handle parallel universes because I don't like thinking about another me, like, hanging out, living a different life. (laughs) I like to think of it as, like, all the options I've made in my life, like, 
you know, it's okay if I regret them or don't regret them. Like, I don't need to because at some point in the universe, they were made anyways. So I'm just living one version of reality. That's so... (laughs) I think slowly over time, my brain will start to accept that a little bit more and more. But that one's hard (laughs) for me. it's not truth. It's a theory. Right. (laughs) And that one's hard for me. And there are some that are like hard to accept I think for people I think that's really valid but my favorite conspiracy theory to read about and this is kind of a vanilla one but definitely the moon landing I love watching people try to <gasps> you're a moon landing no 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 <laughs> I totally think that the moon landing happened I just love diving deep into the conspiracy theory <laughs> halls about people trying to prove that it didn't happen and like setting up their own sound stages and getting their own outfits and it's really funny but i mean we might talk more about conspiracy theories in the future we may not for any future lessons about this kind of stuff um i just thought you know halloween like i said spooky conspiracy things well (laughs) conspiracy theories are spooky but do you know it's spookier believing false things to be fact because of psychologically manipulative tactics that abuse how your mind works for their own gain that's about it that's me snapping that's it yes we did it! That's a wrap on the first episode of Galsplain. Follow us on at Galsplain Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Woohoo! And for our homework today, leave a comment or mention us about your chilly experiences with cold showers and your chilling experiences with conspiracy theories, and you might be featured in our next episode. Subscribe, rate, review, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys! Bye!